Well, if you'd like to take up your Bibles again, and we'll read from Isaiah 61. And it says this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks, foreigners shall be your ploughmen and vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonour they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore in their land they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I've set watchmen. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. 
and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give you grain to be food for your enemies. And foreigners shall not drink your wine, for which you have laboured. But those who garner it shall eat it, and praise the Lord. And those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. Well, in a moment, we're going to have a look at that passage. Before we do, let me remind you that we'll have a question time at the end of the sermon. And you've got your order of service that you can use if that's helpful. But otherwise, let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful promise that you've given to your people and as we reflect on what it will be like we pray Lord that it will be an encouragement to us as we see the promises that you have made and what it means for your people. Amen. Well at the start of Isaiah the people of Israel seek their own glory. There are proud people and have attempted to form alliances with other nations and have tried to become like other nations. But when the people of Israel seek their own glory, all that they will find is that they'll be humbled. In fact, we can go further than this. More than humbled they will be humiliated. When people seek their own glory, they are humiliated. Now this is something that doesn't go unnoticed by the other nations. The nations will be derisive towards Israel. They will mock them. When the people go into exiles, into exile, the nations will draw attention to the fact that Israel has now been defeated and that God has been too. And then there will be the nations that oppress Israel directly. For the Israelites to go into exile, they'll need to be a nation that takes them away into exile. They will be removed from their homes and from their land. In some cases, families will be broken up They will live in a strange and foreign land and they'll be mistreated by the nation that has power over them. And there's very little the people of Israel can do about this. In the end, the weak, the oppressed, the slave have no one to appeal to. 
they have no power within themselves that they can hope to muster in order to get the better of the oppressor. They have been humbled, they have been humiliated, and now their end is just a matter of time. Now when the book of Isaiah was written, the people hadn't yet gone into exile. But the book of Isaiah speaks of the exile and explains the reason why the people would go into exile. It also speaks of the means by which the people will be redeemed and the reason they will be redeemed. It describes what life will be like when the people return to the land. The book of Isaiah recounts the story of the rebellion of God's people. Their desire to be saved from the great nations of the time that they fear and their search of salvation through an alliance with a nation that they hope can save them. These are the events that are taking place when the book of Isaiah is written. And what the prophet Isaiah provides is an interpretation of these events. And it all revolves around how the people of God have chosen idols to worship instead of the true God. Then God raises up nations to take them into exile in order to punish them. And the people seek refuge from those nations that are nearby. To which Isaiah explains, there's no hope to be found in these nations. These nations, well, they belong to God as well. And so they're powerless to help Israel because ultimately the people of God are under God's judgment. But a thread that runs through the whole of Isaiah is that while the exile of God's people cannot be avoided, there will be salvation. And it's a salvation that's not achieved by an alliance with another nation, but a salvation provided by the God who has the power to bring an end to the oppressor because he is the one who raised the oppressor up for his own purpose. And Isaiah 60 to 62 describes what the people can look forward to. And, what ha- and what's described relates to what's happened earlier in the book of Isaiah. So if you remember at the start of the sermon, we saw how the people sought their own glory. And how when they seek their own glory, all that they can expect is humiliation. Well, now the people will have glory, but it won't be their own. You see it in 60, Isaiah 60 verse 1. The people will reflect God's glory. It will be through the people of Israel that God's glory will be seen and all the nations will see it. And as a result, they'll all have the opportunity to experience the glory of God. Then we can think about how when the people spend, spend time in exile, how the nations mock them. But when God's salvation comes, 
that too will be reversed. There will be darkness across the whole world. And the only light available will come from Israel. This light is the glory of God. And so nations that were once derogatory towards Israel, because they've been allowed to go into exile by their God, well, those nations will now seek Israel out. Not because Israel is great, but because the God of Israel is great. And when the nations come, they will bring their gifts to praise the Lord. Have a look at Isaiah 60, verse 11. It says here, Your gates shall be open continually. Day and night they shall not be shut. The people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. So the picture here is of a city and it doesn't matter if it's day or if it's night, the gates are always opened. Now this picture could refer to the safety of the city. Particularly at night, the gates would normally be closed in order to keep the inhabitants safe. But here, the city of God has no need to close its gates, even at night, because to live in the city of God is by definition to be safe. But it could also relate to the amount of traffic that's flowing through the gate. The people are coming to the great light and they're bringing their wealth. And there are so many people coming, the gates can never be closed because the people arrive during the day and they arrive during the night. Then we have the oppressors. We're going to get to the first part of chapter 61 at the end. But before we do, let's have a quick look at 61 verse 2. It says here, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. So two things are happening here. The year of the Lord's favour is declared, but it's declared alongside the fact that God is going to take vengeance. Now, there are many among the commentators who do not like the fact that vengeance is spoken of here. But for those who have experienced genuine oppression, the one thing they would require in order to be freed from the suffering they have endured is that the oppressor be dealt with. And that's what's being promised here. The promise that God makes for his people will only be possible if the oppressor is dealt with. And this is something that those who are oppressed will celebrate. Have a look then back at 60 verse 14. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. 
Throughout today's passage, we've seen that the people who once either oppressed Israel or were derogatory towards them because they were oppressed are now working for Israel. The nations will be subordinate to Israel. But what's in mind here? In what way and for what reason are the nations subordinate to Israel? Well, we've seen how the people have come to Israel because of the great light. So it could be that they're coming to seek the mercy of God. We could then be thinking in the more contemporary term of conversion. The people of the nations are subordinate to Israel because they voluntarily come to serve Israel. But we could also explore an alternative option. Is it that Israel now do not dominates all of her enemies and they're now under Israel's control? Well, this isn't quite accurate. Israel doesn't defeat the nations. They are brought to Jerusalem to be Israel's slaves. Rather, the reason they've come to Israel is because they've been attracted by the great light. They come so they can minister to God. They do not become subservient to Israel. They become subservient to God. But as God's people, Israel benefits from the nation's service. So ultimately, both cases are true. One way or another, the nations will serve Israel's God either voluntarily, as they're attracted by the great light and come to bow the knee to Israel's God, or involuntarily, as God brings the kings of the nations captive so that his people can no longer be oppressed by their enemies. It's important to remember, as we see in 61 verse 6, the formerly oppressed does not become the oppressor. Israel is in no way the ruler of the world, but Israel is the priest of the world. Well, in 61 verse 1, we read how the servant will come, identified as the one who has the spirit of the Lord. And with the Spirit of the Lord comes the wisdom of the Lord. And he brings good news and he proclaims freedom. Well, we find ourselves in 2024 and we're expecting an election this year. And it probably isn't an overstatement to say all is not well with the world and with an election will come many promises and an obvious question the voters may ask is can the promises be kept it's one thing to make a promise but it's quite another thing to keep a promise Promises are easily frustrated. A change of circumstance, 
a new pressure, a cataclysmic event, or the loss of support. Even if a promise was authentic, even if it was intended to be kept, situations can change and can be out of the hands of the one who first made such a promise. But none of this is the case for the promise that God makes. The good news that the servant brings is not merely a declaration of what he hopes to happen. The good news is a description of what he can do, what he will do. It's a description of the task that his God has chosen him for. It is what he will achieve. And he will be given authority over every king and every power so that he's in the position to keep the promise of good news to the poor. And it's a promise that he fulfilled when he laid down his life for his people on a cross. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we read of the promises that you have given us, we're so grateful that they are in a very different category of promises to that compared to the politicians who we serve under. We thank you that your servant has your spirit, so he has the wisdom to know what is right. And we thank you that you have given your servant the authority so he has the power to bring about what is right and so as we reflect on the promises that we read in Isaiah 60 to 62 might we be assured that they will be fulfilled because they are part of your plan and purpose Amen I mentioned at the start there would be an opportunity to ask questions or make comments in light of what we've been thinking about. So, any questions or comments? Yes, Susie. Good question. So just to reiterate for the recording, in Isaiah 61 verse 10 we read, 
I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For he's clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with the robes of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself uh, with her jewels. And it goes on. And the question is, who is the I? Um, and earlier on, back in verse 8, it did say, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. But in verse 10, it would appear that it's changed because it now says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. So the question is, who is it? So I think you're on the right track. Um, I think Isaiah could be a, a possibility. Um, another option could be Israel and the city. What's maybe a little bit difficult with that option is that you're expecting Israel and the city to be a he or a her or a, or a they. Um, but it could still be, I, I guess, again, thinking in, I mean, there's no, there's no rule, in it's, but we used to, I think, Israel being a her, she, or they. But then at the same time, I think given what it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, my soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation, he's covered me with the robes of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. It could be describing um, Israel, particularly given what was described back in 61 verse 1. So I think maybe Isaiah, maybe... Israel, um, unless anyone's noticed something that I've missed. We'll run with that then. Now, I think that's what the commentator said. Oh, go on. Um, unless, unless it could be the seven, Yeah, good one. So another, so just to reiterate for the recording, for those who are listening out there in the world of tape land. Um, Isaiah 61, we've been introduced to the servant, and of course there the pronouns are the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Um, so it could be that by the time we get to verse 10, it returns to the servant, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. And we might expect that because, well, we need it to return because we have got the problem with verse 8 because it is for I, the Lord, and love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. Yeah, so possibility. I can't remember the commentator saying much more than it could be Isaiah or Israel. Go on, Nathan. Nathan. 
We're going to have a... Right, the only way to settle this is a fight. <laughs> Excellent. So that's us, that's in support of Israel. So it's the because of the servant's work in verse three, they are given a headdress, headdress, and then the headdress again is given to the one in verse ten. So that would support Israel, <laughs> or movers in that direction. Okay, should we leave that one there? <laughs> uh, another question? Right, okay, we're going to um, sing our next song before a brief reflection. And it's My Hope is Built.